My hunch is there'll be a lot of questions today. So we won't be able to get to all of them, but if we miss yours, then please just come and find me afterwards. We can talk some more. Um, so, but that's the number. Um, and also just to flag this little thing on many of your seats, it's called the obstacle course. We're going to start this on the 14th of March, and it's just a three-week thing or where you can come into a smaller setting. If you've got more questions, you really want to uh, ask some more, go a bit deeper, uh, a bit more dialogue, then we'd love to just... Uh, I'll be hosting this at a um, pub called The Grafton from the 14th of March. So please do come uh, along to that. The, the, way you, the way you get involved is that you just go to that website and type in your top three questions, and then we'll, we'll look at all of those over the three weeks. So that's what we're going to be doing. Um, today's question. <laughs> Christians only take the bits of the Bible they like. How messed up is that? Well, sort of short, short answer, pretty messed up. Um, but I'm going to try and obviously unpack it a bit more than that. Um, but I'm going to pray, because there's a lot going on here. Um, and I wasn't surprised that this, this question was, came in uh, with a lot of votes, because I think for many people this, this is a big deal. So let's just pray and ask, ask, ask for God's help. Um, Father, do thank you for our time of just being in your presence, singing and praising. And um, Lord, thank you for the way that you lift our hearts. And when we sort of see you again with the eyes of our hearts, that it's like the whole landscape changes. Um, I just want to thank you for that. But, but also, Father, I know that there are genuine wrestlings and issues and things that people today will have that really need some working through and I just pray for so much grace on this time so that even in the short time we have some really helpful things can be said and heard um, and that you would even just look, be gracious and use the simple words I pray please just use them um, go to work through your word I pray Amen I do want to say, you know, I've been thinking a little bit about this uh, this morning, just thinking, man, <laughs> um, I'm really going to do my best uh, with this. But um, there's, there's probably a load of stuff that many of you will ask, I just don't know. What I, what I will do is go back and think about it and try and come back with something, not to try and prove a point, but to help. Uh, but there's a, lot, there's a lot I don't know. And, um, and so there's a whole load of stuff that could be asked today that I've got no idea what could be asked. Um, so uh, there's a few things I've thought about that could be asked, but there's plenty more that, that might not be. Uh, I'm not infallible. I get it wrong and all of that. So I just wanna, don't want to sort of put myself on a pedestal before we start, but genuinely want to try and help as much as possible. So that's going to be the way we're going to go in. Okay, so Christians only take the bits of the Bible they like. How messed up is that? Well, let's look first at why does it, why? Why do Christians do that? Because I'm sure Christians do. Um, not necessarily all Christians and not necessarily all the time, but I'm sure it happens. If it didn't happen, then this question wouldn't have come up. So why does it happen? Well, I'm going to just look quickly at three reasons why it happens. Uh, firstly, because uh, we're messed up. <laughs> That's why we do messed up things. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about the way the Bible talks about humanity, because I think sometimes we're probably a little bit naive. Um, the, so the, the Bible says things like this uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things it's talking about people in general the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it there you are <laughs> you want some plain talking from the Bible there it is the heart and when the Bible talks about the heart it's talking about the centre of the person the seat of your affections the very driving force of your life the heart is deceitful above all things Desperately sick, who can understand it? It goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. So God can, but we ourselves don't. There are things we do, and we think we're doing it for a certain reason, but we're not. There's something else driving what we're really doing. Um, this is the way the Bible talks about the kind of state that we are in. I'm not, I'm not bringing this to justify taking bits of the Bible. I'm just trying to help you explain and understand the way the, the Bible understands people, the state that we are in. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, which is an interesting phrase. It means that we were made for God's glory, not to just enjoy his glory, but to reflect his glory. But we've fallen short from that. So it's like we, we, we're no longer, we no longer have the ability to reflect out his glory in the way we were made to do because that relationship has been broken. So that, that, that's the way the Bible understands us and our position naturally. 
So what about the person who becomes a Christian? Because we make big claims, don't we? Those of us who would say, yeah, we follow Jesus and we believe the Bible. The Bible makes big claims about the person who becomes a Christian, that their heart is changed, that actually there is this, this uh, it's described in many different ways, but perhaps the most vivid is this idea of this, this deceitful, sick heart, this heart of stone being taken out and a heart of flesh being put in its place. Very vivid, graphic idea. You think, well, surely that must fix the whole thing. And then there are certain scriptures where you think, well, yeah, surely the whole thing's fixed. There's scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. They're a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. I mean, it's incredible. What a verse. If you're in Christ, you're brand new. If you come to Christ when you're 60, you're brand new. There's a work that God does that brings brand new life on the inside. The old has gone and the new has come. Wow! 1 Peter 1 verse 18 talks about the blood of Jesus ransoming us from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. That we inherit futile ways. And for all of us that will be a different thing. It could be that your family is a, involves cycles of adultery or cycles of alcoholism or cycles of workaholism or various different unhealthy patterns and the the Bible says that through the blood of Jesus you are rescued from being captive to that so that cycle can stop and you can live in a a brand new pattern can begin in Christ it's incredible the Bible talks about becoming a Christian in this way it's glorious and it's true but the Bible also says in James 3 verse 2 to Christians we all stumble in many ways. Oh, <laughs> sounds a bit different, doesn't it? John, in his first epistle, in chapter 1, verse 8, says, If any one of you, talking to Christians, if anyone says you haven't got any sin, you're a liar. And you make God out to be a liar. You've been deceived. You see, so although I'm brand new if, uh, in Christ, and I've been ransomed from the futile ways I inherited, I still stumble, and I still have indwelling sin. And so, understanding the Christian walk is a bit of a tension, it's a bit of a tightrope between understanding the glory of all that God has done for me in Jesus and all that is mine, the now, but also the not yet. That it's not till I see Jesus face to face that I will be transformed fully into his image. That in this life it's one degree of glory to another. That, you know, thank God I'm not what I was, but I'm not what I will be either. There's elements to me that you think, ah, that still needs a lot of work. I am a work in progress. And so Christians need not be defensive. In fact, a defensive Christian is a bit of a, uh, what's that word when it's two things that shouldn't go together? Oxymoron. Yeah. A defensive Christian should be an oxymoron, really, in the sense that coming to Christ is basically admitting, I've got it wrong. <laughs> That's the foundation, isn't it, of coming to Christ. You realise, I've got it wrong. I'm in the wrong, I've got it wrong, uh, and you throw away every attempt at self-righteousness and you are gifted with righteousness from Christ. And so you no longer need to live defensively trying to convince yourself and other people of how worthy you are or how okay you are. You know that you're not. And so in that sense, part of the reason why Christians sometimes take bits of the Bible and leave other bits is because, well, they're not what they are. They're not what they were, sorry. But they're not yet what they will be. There's still heart work going on, number one. The second reason is, and it's kind of related to heart issues, it's if you look at Christian history, what you realise is, is for the first 300 years of Christianity, it was an underground slave movement, primarily. And it was all about life transformation, primarily. And then it, and then it became the, 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 the world religion, if you like. And along with that came influence, came power, came comfort. Uh, and we tend to like to protect those things. We do it on miniature scales in our own lives, don't we? You get a little bit of influence or a little bit of comfort, it's very tempting to want to protect that. And so I think you can look at Christian history and you can find people in a position of power, or comfort or influence doing all they can to hold on to that and sometimes even using verses from the Bible to justify that and it's wicked and it's wrong and it's evil but that is what people have done 
The Bible was, was used to justify apartheid in South Africa. Scriptures were used. There was a bizarre theological construct that was put together that justified a system of racist oppression. It was. In fact, some of the, some of the most uh, resistant people in South Africa to the reforms and the changes were, would have been, the, um, would have been uh, the, the Dutch Reformed Church. With a bizarre, very, very strange construct of various verses and ideas put together. So, no, look, this is God's... God's way, God's, God's plan. The Bible was used to justify the trauma of the African slavery. Or the horror of that, the Bible was used to justify. You think, well, how? Well, little things were put together to form something. Here we go, it's biblical. What is it really? Well, it's, it's, it's oppression, which God hates. It's kidnap, which God hates. It's people just pursuing cheap labour so they can get richer, which God hates. Justified biblically. So, comfort, power, influence. And then, thirdly, it's ignorance of the scriptures. Things don't get passed on faithfully. Things aren't properly taught. It's really intriguing, I was reading this this morning, very intriguing passage where Paul in Timothy, he writes to Timothy in, in the book of 2 Timothy, he says this, he says, uh, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. He's saying, look, I'm going to, I've entrusted this with you. Pass it on to faithful ones who might faithfully pass it on. That is, that is the idea. That's how this thing should work. That we should help one another truly understand the Bible and pass it on faithfully in a way that brings life, in a way that brings genuine spiritual freedom, in a way that brings maturity, transformation, and all of that. Um, later on, in, in, the same, in the same letter, he says this. He says to Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth so you can handle it rightly and you can handle it wrongly if you're ignorant you can end up handling it wrongly and you can make some huge mistakes particularly if you have influence and people are coming and they want to find out more and there's a respect for the scripture people are like oh tell me you know, and if you handle it wrongly you can lead a whole bunch of people astray and it's happened time and time again down the ages so there's an entrustment a stewardship that we have we've always got to be thinking the next generation passing things on faithfully um, you don't just get to fiddle around with it listen to the way Jude talks about the gospel he says beloved I, I, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Wow, what way of describing it? The faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's not something you fiddle around with, it's an entrustment, it's God's gospel. And when it's preached properly and taught faithfully, it will bring life to people. And people will grow up into maturity and they won't be blown around by all kinds of funny ideas and they won't be strangely oppressed by some kind of religious thing or superstitious thing. They'll be broken free from all of that and will be able to walk with God in joy, in peace, fruitfully. That's the idea, that's the plan. So there's the, that's what, I think that's why it happens. We are messed up. We still have, even Christians still have indwelling sin. People like to hold on to influence, power, comfort, and sometimes in order to do that, we'll even use God's word out of, out of, out of place in order to hold on to stuff, to guard stuff. Um, I mean, it can sound, you know, you talk about apartheid, that's terrible, but I think we can do it in our own little worlds. Yeah? We can do it in our own little worlds. So I can, for example, I don't know, like I can, maybe I earn some money. And I, oh, I enjoy, oh, I can get McDonald's whenever I like, you know, or I can go on a nice holiday now, or, and maybe before, you know, you were just kind of living, you were looking at every penny, you get a, you get a pay rise, you think, oh I, can, oh, I can maybe get an ISA, or you can do all kinds of things you want to do, yeah? You think, well, that's a nice idea, depending on how you like spending your money, McDonald's or ISAs, okay? Everything in between, okay? I'm trying to be, I'm trying to reach the broad appeal. So, but you can tell what came to my mind first of all, couldn't you? But anyway, so, so that's what you've got, right? Oh, I've got some money now, yeah? You think, oh, I like this. This, I didn't like, that was hard. This is nicer. Yeah? Then I come face to face with Jesus' teaching about money. <gasps> Radical teaching. About not, not loving it. Not letting it have a place in my heart and all of that. And, and what do I want to do? I want to read that a bit quick. <laughs> or find, find some other scriptures that balance that out. 
Oh, there's one about saving. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. It's Proverbs. <laughs> and there's something crazy about the way I'm looking to find it. Why? Because something's happened in my heart. You see what's going on there? Something's happening in my heart. The same thing that has gone on in macro uh, level with nations and empires, but the same thing's happening in my heart. Why? Because it's always to do with the heart. It's always the issue. You look at huge wars that rage, it's to do with the human heart. Always the same. So in that sense, we've got to be aware, these are the things that are going on, uh, and this is why it happens. So how do we combat this? Okay, Let's try and find a way out of this pickle. How do we combat this picking and choosing? So first we've got to deal with the heart. Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart. For out of it flow the springs of life. If I don't guard this thing, yeah, if I let this get corrupted, then out of that, out of my heart, figuratively speaking, flows everything else. So the whole thing goes into a funny direction. So above all else, first things first, guard your heart. Which means staying close to Jesus. Because if I stay close to Jesus, then he remains my treasure. You see, the human heart is made in such a way that it's, it's made to have one primary love. It's because we're worshippers. We're all worshippers. Even people who don't believe in, in a God or in religion, we're made to worship, which means we all have something we love the most. Whether that's yourself, whether that's another person, whether that's, I don't know, whales. I mean, it could be anything, you know, literally anything. But we have one thing, that, that's the thing, that's the one thing that I love the most. Isis, McDonald's, whatever, right? So it's one thing that we have. And if it's not the Lord, if it's something created, which happens so easily, then it will take you in a certain direction. You'll spot it. And you can, people often try and do this, they'll try and do the Christian thing, but what they really love is something else. And they wonder why this Christian thing feels tiresome. Or it feels boring. Or it's winding me up. Why is that? Well, there's, an, there's, 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 there's this battle on the inside. The Bible calls it the flesh and the spirit. There's the flesh which wars in me. And there's the spirit that wars. There's this war going on in me between the spirit of God and the flesh, which just wants me to get my own way. We've got to be awake to this, otherwise we're really not going to understand it. We won't understand ourselves. Sometimes you're, you're trying to help people and they say, and they say, no, I'm going to go and do this now. And you say, no, everything you cry out, no, God says don't do that, that's destruction. And they say, if you don't understand, it feels so right. It's like, wow. And it's like, well, yeah, I know that. That's because you've got the flesh inside you. It's part of you. And who really wants to do that? But you have the spirit as well. Don't arm the flesh. You've got the spirit as well. So I've got to keep a guard on my heart, which means stand in relationship with Jesus in a passionate, life-filling way. Secondly, I've got to stand in relationship with other people. I've got to keep my life open to others. This is one of the most sobering verses in the Bible. Proverbs 18, verse 1. It says this. It says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If I isolate myself... That's for a reason. I don't want people in my life that are going to gently challenge me, gently correct me, that are going to say, is that a good idea, Steph? I don't want that. Why? Because I'm after something. So I separate myself. And the result is I break out against all sound judgment. I get entrenched in my own little ideas, in my own little attitudes and opinions. And it's like, I don't, I don't want anyone to say anything about it. So I stay in good relationships with other people that can speak into my life and I keep my life open. There are people in my life, I tell, I, 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 will, I will say to them, look, this is what's going on. I just, t- just tell them. Just say, pray with me. Counsel me. I need that. I understand my own frailty. I understand. Look at human history. I look at things that people that started well, gone off. Things, movements, churches that started well and gone off. I think, God, keep, keep me from that. Keep us from that. So, so I deal with my heart. Secondly, I want to learn to, how to interpret the Bible, which is what we're going to spend the rest of the message on before the questions. So, firstly, you've got to know how to understand this book. You can't just say, well, that's how I see it. That, that's not how you do That's not how you understand the Bible. That's dangerous. If you go to a Bible study and someone says, here's how I see it, how do you see it? And then they say how they see it, and you say, cool. <coughs> that's not a Bible study. That's a talking shop. That's, no, no, no. The author had an intent. The Holy Spirit had an intent when he inspired the author. I need to know what did the author, what was the author's intent? I can't just say, well, this is how I see it. Fundamentally, at the end of the day, so what? There's a, there's a lot more going on than this is how I see it. This is the Word of God. 
listen to what Peter says, just to demonstrate. This is, this is how the Bible writers understood their book. They didn't understand it as just kind of ideas, thoughts. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1, uh, 20, he says, Knowing this first of all, it's important, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Oh, let's do that. Let's say that. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I've got to realize first of all, I've got to take this book seriously. I can't just say, well, I think it's, oh, I will go with that. No, I've got to take it seriously. So how do I learn to understand this book? Well, here's a few pillars to help you. Then we'll do questions. Number one, God doesn't change. God never changes. Malachi 3 verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So what he, ha- what he has always loved, he loves. He loves righteousness. He loves justice. He loves, uh, he loves equality. Uh, God loves marriage. God loves faithfulness. God loves promise keeping. God loves family. God loves his creation. God has always loved what he's loved and he always will because he doesn't change. And he hates what he hates what he hates. He hates double tongues. He hates someone who says something there and someone else there. He hates deception. He hates arrogance. He hates hardness of heart. He hates self-obsession. He hates, he hates lusts that kind of breaks down faithfulness in relationships. He hates those things. Always has, always will. God doesn't change. So when you're reading the Bible, you must always realise it's not one God of the Old Testament, another God of the New Testament. No, no, no. He does not change. That's your first pillar. Second pillar is I need to understand my partiality when I'm reading this book. I.e., I want it to say certain things and I don't want it to say other certain things. I'm not not an objective observer. I've got a stake in this. (laughs) So I've got to understand myself. There are certain things I'm going to go, let's just move on. No. No. So I've got to to understand God, understand myself. Pillar number three, there is, a, there is a, each little section, passage, paragraph, book is part of the whole. So it's part, there's a really big story going on, and the big story, fundamentally in a nutshell, is that God is sovereignly and graciously working out his plan to restore all things. It's a big story, yeah? So sovereignly, which means he's doing it fundamentally by himself. He is working every fabric of history together into his purpose. Okay? He's com- is on schedule. He is not worried, nervous, anxious about how it's going. He is sovereignly and graciously, which means that um, no one's really contributing much in a fundamental sense. The things that people do that help the purposes of God are empowered by his grace and by his spirit. Everything fundamentally comes from him, through him and goes back to him. It's not that we are kind of, how can I describe it? It's not like a a fatalistic thing where we just sit there and we're inactive. But even the things we would do to forward the purposes of God, the things that God loves, righteous things, we do empowered by his grace. We don't take the credit for it. It's not, aren't we good or aren't we the ones? No, no, no. Every crown that we get as a reward, we throw at his feet because it all comes back to his grace. He is sovereignly and graciously restoring all things. His plan is to restore his whole creation to himself. To restore people to relationship with him. To restore the entire cosmos at the end of the day. That's the purpose of God. That's what God is doing. You can phrase it different ways. God wants a big family. With, you rephrase it in different ways. But fundamentally, that is what God is doing. He's bringing everything together under his son, the Lord Jesus. Now, we need to... Okay, so we've got some pillars there. God doesn't change. I'm very changeable and very partial. There's a big story going on. Then we're really going to dig into this idea of covenant. This is really important. It's a really, really important thing. I, I, it could do like five sermons on it, okay? So obviously, I'm not going to do five sermons on it. But... What I, I, I want to demonstrate, just so you understand, why is it now that Christians seem to take some bits and leave others? Part of God's plan is that he relates to people in certain ways. A covenant is a, is a binding agreement between two parties. It's kind of based on promises, and it's very solemn. And throughout the Bible, you find God making covenant with different people, and then those covenants are coming to an end for different reasons. Either, either one party breaks covenant, or just in the purposes of God, it's time for a new covenant. It's, but you find, you find that through Adam, Noah... Abraham, Moses, Jesus would be kind of, I guess, the main ones people would point to. There are different covenants going on. In those covenants, they operate in different ways. 
Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to just draw you some contrasts between the covenant God made with Moses and the covenant God, made with, God has made with Christ, the covenant we are in now. And I want to show you the contrasts because I think these are the covenants that are probably have most detail throughout the Bible in them, that are given to them and, and would cause probably most of the questions. So just a few little examples here. This is just an, illust- an illustration. Okay, so It's not a sermon on covenants, but just to show you how this thing works. So here's for example, in the Moses covenant you find a very complicated system of offerings. They've got to offer this for their sin, this for their guilt, they're killing that animal for this, a bull there, a goat there, a lamb there. Very complicated system of offerings to get right with God. Why don't Christians do any of that stuff now? What's with that? They've got, they've kept it in their book. The Christians say, no, this is part of our book. It's part of our holy book. We've got Leviticus and other books with all details of how these offerings are going to work. Why don't we do that now? Well, the reason is clear. The New Testament makes it obvious and plain that all of those offerings were really just signposts pointing towards the once-for-all offering for sin and guilt that Jesus made through his death on the cross. So it's kind of, you might say, well, that's obvious, but I want you to understand there's a very important principle that we are seeing here. There's a fulfilment of all that was promised in the Moses covenant in the Jesus covenant. Jesus said, I come to fulfill the law. He fulfills it, he brings it to its fruition. The Bible is clear that the blood of goats and lambs could never atone for the sin of a man or a woman. Only the blood of the Son of God, only that life was worthy enough to atone for our sins. And so that's why we don't go and offer lambs and goats. We don't do any of that stuff because the Bible says, uh, particularly the book of Hebrews will really help you on this. It really unpacks it in lots of detail. I'll just read you one scripture from Hebrews. It's wonderful. He says this. He says, uh, By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So by Jesus' offering on the cross, he has made perfect forever those of us who are being made into God's likeness, God's, those of us who are in Christ. What? There you go. That, that explains why we don't do offerings. Okay? Another, another example just to show you, demonstrate to you, dietary laws. What about all this stuff about clean and unclean animals? They can't eat pork there. That's the obvious one we all know about. But there was a whole load of other stuff, shellfish and other things. You think, well, they couldn't eat that then. How comes we just eat whatever we like now, but we've still got all this stuff in the book about unclean pigs? That are, what's going on there? Well, what we do is, again, we go to the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, is particularly helpful here, and we find something that Jesus did, something that Jesus said. In Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 14, Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Don't you see that whatever goes into a person from outside can't defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he he declared all foods clean. Big scripture. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart, of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting that means wanting something you haven't got really badly, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness all these things come from within and they defile a person. So you see Jesus bring, oh, okay, right, he's declared all foods clean. I get it now. That's, so that's why, as Christians, we eat everything but just give thanks. Because Jesus has brought brought that to fulfilment through his life. Two other um, things just to demonstrate. In in the Sermon on the Mount, very famous sermon, we find it in Mark chapter 5 as well as in Luke, in Matthew chapter 5, sorry. Jesus says some things like this that are quite provoking. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. He's quoting the Old Testament now. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You think, oh, so he's, what's he doing there? He's taking the Old Testament commands and what he's doing is he's, pulling, he's, he's really demonstrating this is what they're really about. Because what, what we tend to do in our sinfulness and our deception is we tend to say, okay, so we're not allowed to commit adultery and so we box into this really narrow thing of sleeping with someone else's husband or wife and then we play everything we can around it. Yeah? But we haven't done that. 
Oh, I know I've slept with her, but she wasn't married to anyone. Yeah? Oh yeah, well I know I've slept with that person, but I was only engaged then, not married. Yeah, and we do, we do all we can to try and create. So, and Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. It's not about that. It's not about having this rule book outside there. What am I allowed to do? That's not Christianity. That's not following God. Following God is where, in that new heart that he gives you, is written. Inscribed on that heart, the very desires, the longings, the holy longings of God. So actually, there's this transformation from the inside where you hate anything that speaks of breaking of covenant, and you you hate that with the passion in your heart, and you love faithfulness. Just oh, it's a different thing. Jesus is showing this is what this covenant's about. It's about having the laws of God written on the inside of your life. Oh, okay. So, so it helps us make sense of, right, so I see this. So there's, there's the headlines there and on these stones, but now it's a different deal, a different thing that's going on here. It's, we're being let into the spirit of the law and empowered by God to live it out. And then finally, this is quite an interesting one, I think I found this one very intriguing. Uh, Matthew 19 um, says this, um, Pharisees, they were kind of religious, um, very, very religious, uh, strict people, came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they're no, no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, well why then did Moses command one t- to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. So what Jesus is showing there is that there were some commands from the Old Covenant that were actually concessionary. Because their hearts were so hard, actually God just said, you know what, it's almost damage limitation. Jesus is saying, but this is the perfect will of God. This is the, this, this, this is the, this is the will of God. When people get married, they become one flesh. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Oh. So I'm just trying to show you why how these things work and how, they are, how they're fleshed out in Christ. Just so you understand, there are some nuances here that are very important. Again, I'm, I don't have the time to go into loads of detail, but I'm just trying to help you understand the dynamics of what's going on here. Okay, um, so finally, uh, you need to understand also uh, uh, the context of what you're reading, not in terms of the big story, but just read, when you're reading the Bible, read around it, because sometimes there's a sentence, you think, oh, it means that. But as you read around it, you think, oh, hold on a minute, because that came before and that came after, it can't be about that, it's about this. So just use your noddle when you're reading the Bible, yeah? Don't, don't go all, you know, I don't know, don't go weird, you know. You know, God can, God can speak in that way, but it's not clever to just live your life like that. He's given us a mind and, and we're to understand the thing that we're reading. So give respect to the context. And you can really only know the context by the text. Okay? You, you can get some idea of historical stuff and read around, but you really only know the context by the text. So give, give thought to reading around stuff and just thinking about it. And I would say always read with a pen or pencil in your hand. It's so much better. You just scribble a few things and thoughts. It just makes the whole activity much more dynamic and uh, much, much more engaging. And then uh, also ask yourself, what kind of literature is this? Because the Bible is a load of books, and some of them are historical narrative, some of them are poetry, some of them is wisdom literature, some of them is apocalyptic literature, which means it's full of amazing, symbolic pictures that are really out there. Understand what genre is this I'm reading. It's really important, because when I read in Revelation 13 about a beast coming out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, you know, I need to know what genre I'm reading at that point, otherwise I'm going to be freaking out whenever I go to the and I'd be like, you right kids, you carry on with that sandcastle, I'm just keeping an eye out. What? The Bible says, hold on, what, what is it? It's a genre issue, it's apocalyptic, it's symbolic, it's speaking of the, the oceans, speak of the turmoil of the nations, the horns speak of power, government, they, they speak of certain things. And so you've got to, you just got to be wise to that uh, and recognise what genre you're actually reading when you're reading a particular book. Penultimately, ask yourself, do my conclusions about this make sense, or are they fundamentally just a bit nutty? Yeah, you know when you come to conclusion, oh, I've discovered something, and you think, oh, just stop a minute, and ask, just look at it again and say, does that hold together, or is that just kind of like, just really, I'd be embarrassed to tell anyone. I think it says that because I, I know that's just a bit mad. 
Just does it hold together? Just ask yourself that. That's not unspiritual to do that. And then finally, just a couple of really little tips. Um, keep the main and the plain, the main and the plain. The main, the main ideas of Scripture, you know, just keep them at, at the centre. Please don't find one really obscure thing and build your whole life on it. It's just not clever. There's a verse in Corinthians about baptising the dead. There's no explanation about it. Paul refers to it as a, as a side comment. Don't build your life on that. Some religions have built a lot on that. I mean, the Mormons, they will literally spend whole days down at their temple being baptised for numerous dead people. I mean, and not only they're taking it further, they, they, they get baptised for alive people. Most of you have probably been baptised as a Mormon, by proxy. Because they've really built, there's this little thing and they've really built this huge thing on it. So I'm just, you know, keep, keep the main things. The main themes is really, really important. Um, Use scripture to weigh scripture. So you're thinking, does that mean that? And then, well, what else does the Bible say about this? So you're using scripture to, to weigh and understand scripture. And then also, there's walk the tightrope well of being in the word yourself, but also benefiting from teaching gifts, either things like this in this moment now, but also some really excellent teaching and preaching online, some brilliant books and resources. Balance that together. That will keep you in a really healthy place. So, to conclude. Ugh. In some ways, the church is, um, is never going to win in terms of popular opinion. We'll always say things that's going to upset someone. So you take the, um, the, women's bis- the women bishops thing, I'm not commenting on that, but as an illustration, the women bishops thing. So when the church says, no, we're not going to embrace that, the church is told by the prime minister to get with the program. Interesting phrase. It's like, whose program? The, the church is not called to get with the program. The church is called to follow God. Yeah? So... Yeah. But, when the, but then if the church was to, to get with the program, then there's a whole lot of people going to be saying, you sellouts! You know? So you, you can never please everyone. So if you're a believer, and you say, I'm a believer, and I believe the scripture to be the word of God, then what you need to do is, um, all I would say to, to do with these things, these two things. Number one, celebrate what's good. And there's a whole lot that is good in life. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Celebrate the good things. Celebrate creation. Celebrate joy, life, relationships. Celebrate faithfulness. Celebrate um, truthfulness. Celebrate grace and love. I mean, let's, let's celebrate what is good. I spend our life just kind of defending things and standing up to evil things. We should live lives of celebration. Yeah? Number one. But number two as well, we need to stand our ground in resisting what is evil fearlessly and speaking. And I'm not going to give way to that. I'm not going to give way to that. Um, and I'm not going to be afraid of what people call me or say about me because as Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 10 if I was still trying to please people I wouldn't be a servant of Christ you can't do both you have to go who who are you going to go who are you going to please in life Jesus first I'm going to spend my life loving people but not trying to please them if I can't do it so okay there we go I've tried it as much as I can Uh, Laura Laura with a notebook full of questions okay here we go hopefully this is all let me just try and unwrap it a bit. Okay. Cool. Okay, there are lots of questions. Some of them were quite similar, so I've grouped some of them together. Um, so if I've done that to your question, that's why. Um, the first one um, that I think we need to address, all Christians leave out some bits of the Bible. Here at Rev, for example, we don't take Paul's head covering. To I knew it! <laughs> I knew it! Yeah, go on. Um, so isn't it, so is it always messed up to leave out bits even when it's sort of within the same book and the same context and the same person the writer mm. was writing to? Mm. Well, <laughs> the head covering thing, we dealt with that about a year and a half ago where basically what, everything we read was saying it's cultural, it's cultural, it's cultural. I looked at it, I said, it's not cultural. It isn't. There's no way, there's no way in that passage. Paul, Paul refers, he refers to cre- creation. Um, he says, if anyone's got any issues with this, we have no other, uh, we have no other practice. You know, I mean, it's strong. So we said, well, what do we do? Um, well, what we did was, if I remember rightly, because Tom O'Toole's got a sharper brain than me and he's gone now, but he helped us with this. Because we didn't just not want to do it, we, had, we actually had to actually ask the question, are we going to go down this road? And uh, we decided on balance that it wouldn't be a clever idea. Not because, primarily in terms of weighing scripture with scripture. So that's not, it's mentioned once in the Bible. 
there is a very, very strong teaching in the Bible about... Um, can I describe it? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, so the same letter as the head coverings, Paul talks about being all things to all men in order to win some. And what he's saying there is, he says, whatever we do, we don't want to put stumbling blocks in people's way. We don't want to do things that will really create such unnecessary hindrances in people's minds that they think, what is that? And I guess just being in a, you know, increasingly, you know, there's the cities of the world, multicultural, multi-faith, the whole Muslim thing, and the way the Muslim book and the religion approaches women is different from Christians. Um, but I think most people would associate the head coverings thing with that. And we just felt it would, it would potentially be a stumbling block. That people think, what? I don't... Before, they, before there's even a chance to even like engage and talk and that sort of thing, that they would, they would have... They, they would be like, flip, you know, what's going on there? Not only that, we felt that it would create such, such tiresome difficulties explaining this thing constantly to anyone new who wanted to join the church, and even obviously to, to, to our women in the church, where we felt, flip, this is just going to be like, really end up being like a Pharisee, straining out gnats and swallowing camels. Something pretty minor in the book becomes like this thing everyone's talking about the whole time. Not only that, we also then got, well then what do we do about hairstyles? Because in the, in the, it's a slightly dubious passage in that it, tends to, it seems to also say that a woman's hair is her covering. And so actually we don't fully actually even understand the passage. And we don't understand the passage very, very well. To make a big change that would cause a lot of turmoil and a lot of problems and a lot of difficulties to those looking into the faith, we just thought this is not a wise move. So we didn't do anything on it. So I felt that we just took a whole load of genuine, clear, biblical wisdom, held it up against a verse that I don't think is a cultural verse, but we don't quite understand it, and we can see this causing problems that are way beyond what the thing itself is worth, worth causing. We just felt it would be foolish. So we didn't do it. Okay. Yep. Um, is it possible to have multiple meanings and interpretations of one scripture? Um, some, you know, does the Holy Spirit sometimes reveal layers of meanings within one scripture? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that probably is true. I think absolutely. Um, I was actually thought about it a little bit during the week, and I try because I thought I, th- I remember over the years thinking to myself when I've seen people debate over something, thinking it could it could mean both, and it wouldn't be the end of the world if it did. And you're getting really worked up about something that it's not it's not a big deal. Um, but in the, throughout the week, in the moment, as I wrapped my brains, nothing came back to mind. So. No, but I think, yeah, I think, I think definitely, I think there are times where the words have been used that could be taken two ways, because the meaning can genuinely be taken two ways. And when that happens, don't get worked up about it, and don't get into fights over it, there's just no point, you know. So I, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, I think it's probably just a bit of a problem when people begin interpreting something, but that actually begins to run against what you think? I know. Actually, this is clearly, clearly what Scripture teaches. This is just this. This is this. This is flying in the face of that. So it's not helpful. Um, God never changes. So how do we respond to someone um, who may ask us about kind of Old Testament teachings about killing people, yeah. um, even in the context of what you said about Old Testament and New Testament? Yes. If God doesn't change, how does that work? Yeah, God still kills people. Uh, that's the answer. Um, so. The, 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 the problem, uh, the, the difference is, is in the Old Covenant that there were seasons, particular times, where the, uh, God used his people as an instrument for his holy justice. Okay? Under the New Covenant, we are not called to do that. So it's absolutely not uh, the calling of God's people under the New Covenant to execute God's revenge on anyone. But God will execute his revenge at the judgment day. So God is just as wrathful over sin, and God is just as, uh, God will execute uh, just as much justice um, to those who don't repent. Absolutely. And so he hasn't changed at all, but the means through which he executes his justice in this covenant has. Um, It's just a sort of clarifying point. when you were talking about, I think, ISIS and McDonald's, is it, is it good to save money? Um, 
Well, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not wrong or a sin to save money. Um, the issue is you've got to know your heart in it, haven't you? You've just got to know your heart in it. Of course it's not wrong. Um, but if Jesus tells you to give all your money away, then it is. And he might tell you to do that. So, are you, are you, is he allowed to tell you to do that? Because if he's not allowed to tell you to do that, then you're probably in sin. Because you're saying, don't go there, Lord. But if you're open to him, and you're just living a life that is generous, and that you're sharing, and that he's not greedy or selfish, but you, you put in some money away, then there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it's just about having your whole life open to the Lord and having an open heart. That's really what it is. Yeah, you've got to know, if you're not willing to face, if you're not willing to face your heart as a believer, in, in real honesty, in the mirror, you, you, what will happen is, is that the whole thing will become so superficial. It just will become really superficial. There is, you've got to look, you've got to be, let the Lord search your heart. And that take, you've got to trust that he's good to let him do that. You've got to trust that he wants what's best for you to let him do that. And if you don't trust him in that way, then you will, you will, you will just start guarding things from him. Because fundamentally you don't trust him. But it will, that will begin to have knock-ons into every area of your relationship with the Lord. I mean, man alive, you know, talking, you know, I, I don't know how to say it. Being a Christian is rigorous. It is rigorous. We get saved by God's grace and we are empowered and we continue by his grace. But man, does he work on us? <laughs> and does he work in us? And do we have to face up to things and really look in the mirror? Yeah. Absolutely. You don't just glide through this thing. You really don't. You know, and even, you know, every time I do, every time I preach on Sunday, you know, I'm saying things and it's like, boom, arrow in my heart. Normally, normally, you know, one, two, three times per sermon, I'm like, okay, you know, you just, okay, God. And I'm going to face a stricter judgment because I'm teaching it. So, you know, I mean, You've got to know the grace of God, but we've, 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 we've got to let God deal with us on these things. We do. Um, and then, then we can really run and really be free. Yeah? It's not so you can be all, all we can really run then. Yeah. Um, it's a question about how we sort of respond to, to teaching that, or to interpretations of scripture that we would say weren't or wouldn't feel were right. So yeah. someone used an example of a sermon um, against interracial marriages based on the um, Israelites being told they couldn't marry outside of their tribe. So how do we we're in trouble, aren't we? respond to that? <laughs> um, yeah. uh, well, how do you respond to that? It depends, doesn't it? If, you're, if that's the church you're in, that's what you're being taught, then you need, I guess you need to um, find a way of graciously, you know, really gracious, gently just speaking to the person who's teaching that and saying, look, this isn't, this isn't correct exegesis. The issue there was that the other nations were worshipping other gods. It's the issue. It's not a race issue, it's a worship issue. So the correct interpretation is, don't marry someone who's worshipping another god or no god. That's the interpretation of scripture. So, you, so, so if you're in that position and you're, you're under that, you, you, Somehow you've, got to, you've either got to escape from being under that teaching, if that's, if that's what you're under every week, either by gently bringing some correction and it changing, or by saying, I think I need to hear some teaching that's going to bring life. I don't know what time is. <laughs> what, do you know what time is? I don't know what time is. Must be late. Yeah, we're going to leave it there. Yeah, we probably need to leave it there. Uh, we want to just... I think it's important, I don't want to just kind of end the meeting on Q&A, it's a bit sort of, you know, a bit naff, isn't it? <laughs> rather end it on just worshipping the Lord and breaking bread. So, hopefully there's been some helpful stuff in there. It's a big one, we've opened, I know we open up can of worms every week with this stuff. Really happy to chat some more if your questions haven't been answered, and um, really am up for that. And, you know, obviously recognise sometimes a question can be asked, and I answer it, but I've not really heard it properly, you know, so if I got it wrong and, and that, please just come and tell me, we can, t- we can talk about that. Um, just be, just be still for a moment. Sure, is that okay if we just a bit of just quiet for a minute? And um, uh, yeah, I just want to. It's just so important that when we when we get around this stuff, it's, it's eternal. It's, you know, it's deep, deep stuff. And, and God wants to 
really help us, you know, he really does. He really wants to help us. He's not against us. He's for us. And he, he's, you know, he's a God of all encouragement. He wants us to grow and do well. He doesn't want us to walk around with a big weight on our shoulders, actually. Now, when Jesus tells people to give all their money away in the Bible, it's not because he's really mean or because he just wants to spoil stuff. It's because he sees, ah, okay, I know what it is for you that's going to make your heart free. He wants people to be free and light and run. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to be free. Um, free to just enjoy walking with him and not being weighed down by the worries of this age. And that, that's what's going on. That's what's going on. So I just want to, just, you know, just, I want you to be before God on that. And as, we're, as we're sitting here, maybe, maybe you're here and, you know, you, just, you, you know that, I don't know, maybe through the songs or as I've been talking, or maybe even before you came, you just, you just knew there was going to be a bit of a big moment for you today to just either, either come to know Jesus or, or, or get back on track with Jesus. And that's nothing that anyone can make happen other than, you know, it's just between you and God. That's between you and God. But what we do try and do here is do all we can to help and just pray with you and encourage you. And so as we're just sitting here quietly, if any of you in the room, you know, you either think, do you know what? I, I want to follow Jesus. Or I used to follow Jesus and I, I haven't been. And I, re- I really want to follow Jesus again. I want, to, I want to come home. One way or the other, I want to come home to, to Jesus. Then you just let me know. Just give us a wave of your arm and I'll just pray with you at the end or find someone that can just chat with you, encourage you, pray for you. But we, just, we really want to give opportunity every week for people to be able to do that. So if, you, if that's you and you're here, you just, just let me know, give a little indication one way or the other and then we can make sure we get to you and encourage you. I can't see any hands, so I'm just going to end in prayer and maybe the band can make their way up and we're going to break bread together. Lord, we just bless you for your, thank you for your good, thank you for your wisdom. Wow. Thank you for your wisdom. Um, I want to pray for us as a church. I'm kind of surprised, I just sort of feel quite surprised in my spirit. I feel like the Lord is just doing something through today's message about, he's wanting to just, he's calling numbers of, of people it's like um, come follow me moment. Even though you're believers, <laughs> it's a come follow me. It's, a, there's, there's a, it's, a, it's exciting, you know. Peter, Peter and Andrew, James, and John, they left everything. They, ah, wow. So come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. There's a, there's a fresh call to adventure and discipleship, I believe, today the Lord wants to bring. And uh, I just want to ask you to be responsive in your heart to the Lord. I, you haven't got to do anything. You haven't got to come and see anyone. anyone or, but just, you know, come to the Lord and... Just be responsive and he, he, will, he will show you what's next. So, Lord, I just pray your, I pray your wild, adventurous spirit to be all over us, Lord God, and as we go, and that we wouldn't just tick our religious boxes. I know you hate nothing more than that, Lord, and pray we wouldn't do that, but that we would really learn how to walk with you, follow you, and uh, not be clinging to earthly securities, but cling to you with all of our heart. Thank you. The earth is, everything in it is yours. It all belongs to you. So we just say we trust you, Lord. Oh,